This is 50 Feminist States, a road-tripping storytelling podcast visiting all 50 U.S. states to interview feminist activists and artists about their work for gender justice. I'm Amelia Freeby, and this week, we're in North Carolina. From the glaciers of Alaska to the dunes of Indiana, I want 50 feminist states. From the waves of New Hampshire to skies of Montana, I want 50 feminist It's Amelia. Thanks so much for tuning in to the 50 Feminist States podcast and for listening to this third of three special episodes in Northeastern North Carolina. In the past two weeks, we've been to Northampton, Hertford, and Bertie County. And this time, we're going to go back to Northampton County, where my friend Ashley lives, so you heard from in the last episode, to talk to three women, Wanda Flythe, Joyce Buffalo, and Deborah Ferruccio, about their work to fight a proposal for a coal ash plant to come to Northampton County. Before we get there, I'd like to let you know that 50 Feminist States is currently fundraising to support future seasons. If you head to 50feministstates.com support, you can make a donation to help make sure that future episodes of this podcast exist. That's F-I-F-T-Y feministstates.com support. Why might you want to support a podcast like 50 Feminist States? Well, it's an independent feminist media project that travels to different local areas to make sure that we're hearing the voices of the people doing the work for gender justice that's most immediately felt by their communities. In the past few weeks, there have been a number of attacks on reproductive rights across the United States, and they're happening at the state level, with states passing laws that go against the Roe versus Wade Supreme Court decision. That tells me that it's at the state level that work for gender justice has to be done right now. And this podcast seeks to feature the work that's being done in each state to make sure we're paying attention to those local organizers and the grassroots campaigns in their communities. If you'd like to support that work, please pledge to the 50 Feminist States Kickstarter today at F-I-F-T-Y feministstates.com slash support. That's 50feministstates.com slash support. As I mentioned, this week's episode features my conversation with Joyce Buffalo, Wanda Flythe, and Deborah Ferruccio. These women all live in different towns in northeastern North Carolina, and they had never met before they began organizing together against the plan by a company named Vista Green to bring a coal ash storage plant to Northampton County. All of that began in January of 2017. I don't want to give too much of the story away because you'll get to hear it from these organizers themselves. But before we hear them, you should know that we recorded this episode during a three-hour-long lunch at a Ruby Tuesdays one afternoon last December. And while I had an amazing time, you will be able to hear some of the ambient noise in the background, particularly the radio station the restaurant had on overhead while we were talking. I think that what these women have to say is so important that you won't be focused on that U2 and Destiny's Child playing in the background, but my apologies that it might distract you at times from what they have to say. Let's hear first from Joyce Buffalo, who is one of the first people to be informed about Vista Green's plan to bring this coal ash plant to her community. This is her now. It was January in 2017. My mother and late father, St. Paul and Shirley Edwards, received a white envelope in the mail and like most days I would open my mom's mail and hand it to her to read and she was sitting there looking puzzled and she said what is this I don't understand what this is 
and it was the letter that had been mailed out to landowners adjacent to the 852.45 acres that this company called Vista Green LLC had purchased in hopes of putting a coal ash facility there. When she showed me what she was looking at but didn't quite understand um, what was going on and I said to her, Mom, what they're trying to do is bring a coal ash processing facility or landfill to just up the road from where we live. I said, if that happens, we can't live here because we won't be able to breathe. Um, you won't be able to sit on your porch anymore and enjoy the sun, the sunshine, excuse me, and um, read your book, read the newspapers. Um, your grandchildren won't be able to come and visit and play in the yard. We won't have any more family cookouts. We won't even be able to grow a garden anymore. We won't be able to do any of the things that we've been used to doing here all of our life. And my mom had been born in that community. She was in her 80s. She was 81 at the time. Um, I had been in that community except moving away and coming back. So it was where we all, all 13, 14 of my siblings had been born and raised until we decided to move away. And even my great-grandmother had been born in that community and lived until she was 106 years old. So it was all that we knew. And we loved the area. It's a beautiful countryside, very quiet. Um, all of the families are related, pretty much. But we wouldn't be able to do those things as family or neighbors if this coal ash facility came and just took over everything that we ever knew, which was our life. But we, we couldn't live there. My mom would not be able to live there. I don't want, wouldn't want to live there. And I told her, you may not want to go with me, but you won't have a choice because I can't leave you here to die. This stuff will kill you. You won't be able to breathe. We walk outside. We'll have to clean off the table or chair before you can sit down. Um, it'll be coming into your air conditioning system while you're sitting in your house watching your price is right. I said, you just won't be able to enjoy the simple life that you live right now. Your whole life will, will, will change forever. So we would have to move because of coal ash. So that's how it started. With that letter, I couldn't believe what I was reading. Didn't know a lot about coal ash, except I knew that it wasn't anything good that we needed in our county. I was so struck by Joyce's impassioned plea to her mother about how much this coal ash plant would impact their lives and how they would have to leave this land where they had lived for generations. Like Joyce, I didn't really know anything about coal ash before I went to have this conversation with these organizers, and they taught me so much more about the threat of coal ash to the communities that live around these plants. Hear Deborah Ferruccio talk more now about the research that she's done on the dangers of coal ash and why it's so problematic that the EPA classifies it as non-hazardous. Against the uh, opinion of, I don't know, 900 of the concerned sci uh, scientists, doctors and all, said to the EPA, coal ash is hazardous. It needs to be categorized as hazardous waste. It's made of cadmium and lead and mercury and arsenic. It's a host of a list, a long laundry list of nasty, very well-established, dangerous constituents Nevertheless, the EPA decided to call coal ash non-hazardous so that they can put it, leave it where it is, put it into solid waste landfills, 
and get rid of it as cheaply as possible. So I knew that when they were telling the people of Northampton County that they could build this wonderful landfill and they could, you know, it, uh, contain this stuff. First of all, you can't even get it into a landfill without it blowing everywhere. So all of that is a ruse. But I, I knew the best thing to do was to try to talk to people who uh, have experienced and been um, exposed to it. And I had come across um, some articles written by somebody named Kristen Lombardi with the Center for Public Integrity. And I got in contact with her, and she gave me some contact numbers of some of the people that she had interviewed because she had been reading and looking into and writing about the dangers of coal ash in Tennessee where they had this massive disaster. And they had to clean it up because it literally inundated people's homes and whatever. What did they do? They picked it up and took it to an African-American community in Alabama, and those people were already sick from the coal ash coming in there. But I interviewed numerous coal ash workers in Tennessee, and they were part of a lawsuit that has happily finally made it to the courts. They delayed it and continued it repeatedly. And just about six weeks ago, they won their case. They The plaintiffs in this case were numerous. They kept adding, so I'm not sure the final number, but it might have been over a 100, many of them, the survivors of people who died. They have long-term diseases. They have uh, so many things wrong with them. And this is, you know, something that's so important because the only ju justification for bringing this coal ash facility to Northampton was that it's going to bring jobs. But if the jobs you bring people are going to kill them, that's not a good justification. Certainly, as Joyce has just said, it's going to destroy the community for miles. The coal ash dust is going to blow all over. It's going to get into the water, which it's a wetland. It's going to, you know, contaminate water. It's going to contaminate groundwater. It's going to contaminate the air, soil. It couldn't grow a garden. Debbie Davis, the other co-chair and the farmer, had somebody tell her son just during harvest of this year that, oh, yeah, by the way, if you'd had that coal ash facility, we could never have certified your 2,000 acres of, of sweet potatoes. So when they tell you that these high-impact businesses are going to bring money to a community, they don't tell you how much money they're going to take from the community. They don't tell you that for whatever dollar they bring in, they're going to destroy many more dollars. Um, so, you know, the dangers of coal ash are going to become more well-known with this lawsuit as, as the public begins to know that even the courts are finally admitting how bad it is. It's a very complicated situation. In North Carolina, there's like 32 coal ash pits and ponds leaking all over North Carolina. And instead of Duke Energy saying, we want to pick this up and we're sorry we made mistakes by not paying attention to how we got rid of this, they just want to lie to the public and tell them that we have a new state-of-the-art way of getting rid of all this stuff. Our state has gutted so many regulations that we have no protection from the state. Then you have the EPA saying coal ash isn't hazardous. So what it comes down to is local communities have to protect themselves. Nobody's going to do it. The state's not going to do it, not North Carolina. The federal government's not going to do it because coal ash isn't even dangerous as far as they're concerned. So you have to have people at the local level who will protect you. You know, coal ash, buried or not, is, is dangerous. And cleaning up things that have already happened, post-siting issues are horrible. But pre-siting issues are at least you can do something. When you can prevent something from happening, 
it's so less costly than trying to fix it afterwards. So these guys are stopping something that the county would deal with forever. And you know what they would do for you guys if you, they put that in? They'd bring you a, a health clinic. And then they would take samples of your blood and do nothing. While the state government and Duke Energy might have done nothing were a coal ash plant to come to Northampton County and harm the people that live there, Joyce Buffalo certainly was not going to do nothing about this news that Vista Green planned to bring a coal ash plant to the land adjacent to her mother's property. So I called Tony Burnett, our NAACP president, and asked Tony, do you know anything about Vista Green and wanting to do coal ash in Northampton County? He says, no, what are you talking about? And I went on to tell him that my parents had received this letter, and certainly they were planning on building this coal ash facility here in Northampton County. So I made him a copy of that package, and I left it at his home. And a few days later, we went to a commissioner's meeting. Uh, Tony brought it up, asked the question at the commissioner's meeting, uh, what did the commissioners know about this coal ash being proposed in Northampton County? And, of course, the commissioners said, they didn't know anything about it. We found out later on that they had met with the company in May of the previous year, I believe, and had talked about it. So that's how we found out about this degree wanting to come to Northampton County. Hear now about the executive team that was formed and then how Wanda Flythe got involved. Anyway, the executive team was born, and on that team was um, Tony Burnett, Judge Albert Kwashibi, uh, Debbie Davis, who is a farmer, whose uh, husband's family had farmed that land for hundreds, four generations. And my great-grandmother had also worked on Mr. Davis's farm when I was growing up as a little girl. So I knew the Davises, but I didn't know Debbie. Um, I, again, I think they wanted to make sure that there was representation, that we were all comfortable in working together. And again, as uh, Wanda had said, Blacks and whites didn't really, we worked together on the farms, but we didn't come together in any social meetings or uh, trying to solve any problems. And this was a show of togetherness that has grown and grown and grown into the citizens uh, wanting to come together. And we did come together for the good of um, making sure that we did not end up with this coal ash in Northampton County. So from the executive team, we would make sure we would meet at least once a month prior to a meeting to make sure we went over the agenda as to what we wanted to discuss and bring to the citizens that we had learned. Because again, we were researching and learning about coal ash and of what it meant. And we wanted to bring that same information as to what we had learned to the citizens at the monthly meetings. And that's how Joseph and I knew about the first meeting um, <clears throat> his family's place of business in Conway had a poster and they, um, Joseph saw it and they were talking about this coal ash meeting. And he came home, he said, there's a coal ash meeting in Jackson, like tonight or tomorrow night, whenever. I said, coal ash? Coal ash in Northampton County? Coal ash in Northampton County? <laughs> And I said, we have to go to this meeting. We have to go find out what this is about. And when we went and learned, it was like, we have to do something about this. We can't, we can't sit quiet by. And then I think it was the next week, we got a call from the executive team. They said, because we spoke up at the meeting and we expressed concern. And I think they realized that 
we were serious about this fight, so they called and asked if we'd be on the executive team, and we said yes, 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 yes. So the Kalash executive team had formed before we got involved, and they had already made decisions to go uh, around the county. To um, We started out going to churches, um, meeting in black churches and white churches, because Northampton County has always been a very segregated county. Um, blacks and whites don't do a whole lot of things together or they did not do a whole lot of things together before the coal ash fight. Um, so trying to reach um, both parts of the county, the blacks and the whites, and educate them all was sort of a challenge. So I think the decision was made to go to a black church, then a white church, then a black church, then a white church throughout the county. Um, we did meet in several county, I mean in several churches, um, but then we realized that we still didn't have a whole lot of mix coming in, so we started re meeting in more neutral places like the auditorium or the school or a, a community building or you know a, a building in Jackson connected to the courthouse, that kind of thing, where everybody felt like it was their place. It wasn't a black church, it wasn't a white church. It was a neutral place. Um, it, and it, it wasn't even a church. Yeah, that's right. And uh, we did have more people coming out. Another thing we did, this was my baby, was um, to write letters to the editor. I felt like we had to educate people. We had to educate our county commissioners. We had to educate ourselves. And we had to ed educate the people in the county. And, you know, a lot of people get the newspapers. We had three different newspapers in the county. Um, and I would have these burning thoughts that I needed to share, things that I wanted to make people think about what was this collage going to mean to our county. And then there was nothing to do but just sit down and type out this letter and, and have it, you know, reviewed by the people on the committee. And when I got everybody's approval, put it in the paper. And it's interesting, um, it's interesting sometimes when you get in groups of people and then you hear the things that you put in the letter said back to you. They don't realize you're the one that wrote the letter, but I love hearing it come back because it means people read it, they internalized it, they understood it, and they, you know, they are understanding and now they're repeating it to other people. So the letters... And I did a lot of letters, um, not every month, but probably every couple of months, there would be another letter. I asked Wanda if she could share a few of these lines that she heard back from people around her. Why not Bertie? One of the gentlemen that owns this green is from Bertie County. It is a neighboring county. They had a letter. We did some back and forth kind of letters. But they put a letter in talking about Northampton being a tier one county. Everybody was moving away. We didn't have any industry. We didn't have this. We didn't have that. We were poor. We needed Vista Green. And that they only wanted to come into our county and help us by bringing us this coal ash dump. <laughs> um, and when I read that letter, my blood just kind of boiled a little bit. So then I went online and I investigated and I found that Bertie County is a tier one county. Everybody's leaving. They don't have any industry. They're very poor. They are in the very same boat we are. 
So the letter that I wrote was, why not Bertie? You know, I, it's all well and good that you want to be so magnanimous and do this for our county, but what about your own county? Why aren't you putting it in Bertie County? And then, you know, the, the thing was, probably you're not putting it in Bertie County because Bertie County does not want your coal ash either. <laughs> and I heard over and over and over again, why not Bertie County? Why not Bertie County? I love what Wanda said here about how she felt like she just had to say something and she needed to write these editorials and how important and impactful it was for her to hear her words come back to her out of the mouths of other concerned citizens. I think that we need more stories like this of people moving from being engaged in caring community members to active organizers fighting for their world to look like the world they want to live in. Wanda also shared that some of this shift in her life from becoming a caring community member to an active organizer happened right as Joyce's mother got this letter in the mail from Vista Green. So we heard Joyce talk about how that letter came in January of 2017. Well, also in January of 2017 was the Women's March on Washington, which Wanda attended. Hear her talk a little bit more about how that march impacted her and the organizing strategies she took directly from the Women's March organizers and brought back to her community in Northampton County. January of 2017, the Women's March in Washington, I went and I marched. And um, while there, I connected with some of the women who had set up this march. And I was very interested in the things that they were doing uh, or telling us we could do to fight beyond just marching. One of the things they had advocated for was a postcard campaign where we write the things that we're concerned about and we mail postcards to our uh, representatives in our state or in our, um, you know, and even in the nation. So I was doing that postcard campaign and the collage all started right after the march um, or we became aware of it right after the march. And in trying to figure out um, how to let our commissioners know how we felt, I thought about the postcard campaign. So we had some help. Um, we we wrote a postcard that said we do not want coal ash in Northampton County. We decided to do postcards in packets of five. We had five county commissioners. They were the only people who were going to get to vote on this issue. We were not going to have a vote. Um, but we needed to get our voice to them. So we had sets of five postcards, one for each commissioner. And anybody who signed our form or who was interested in this fight, we would ask them if they wanted to sign these postcards and put them in the mail. So they went to our commissioner's homes, not their place of business or, you know, their commissioner's office or whatever place they have that they can receive mail. But we wanted to go to their homes. Um, and people, the thing about people is they were concerned and they wanted to do something, but they didn't know what to do. When we did the postcard campaign, that gave them something to do. Yes, I'll sign the postcards. So they signed the postcards and then we, we took the postcards and mailed them for them. And, um, we had probably 2000 sets of postcards that got mailed to our county commissioners and they were, uh, the county commissioners started saying, we've had enough postcards. We have enough postcards. One uh, 
one county commissioner's husband um, made the comment. Uh, I think Joseph approached him and said, did not realize who he was and said, um, are you against the coalition? And if you are, do you want to sign some of our postcards? And he said, I've got enough postcards. He said, I am so-and-so's husband, and every day when I go to the post office, I open my box and postcards just fall out on the floor. Um, they had shoe boxes full of postcards. So that was a very effective campaign. Um, it gave everybody in the county who wanted to say to the commissioners, I don't want coal ash. It gave them the opportunity to say that actually to the commissioners. So the commissioners knew how the people felt. And one thing about the postcards, too, we had everybody sign their name and put their return address because we wanted the county commissioners to see how widespread the fight was in Northampton County. There wasn't just the people in Morgansville and Seaboard. It was the people in Conway, Rich Square, Woodland, Pleasant Hill, Gaston, Garysburg, all over Northampton County. We wanted them to see return addresses from every community. Um, and that spoke volumes as well because the five commissioners, they... They cover the county, so every commissioner was getting postcards from their district. Before we get to the outcome of this story, I want to share a few more organizing strategies that the No Coal Ash team used. Hear about them from Wanda and Deborah now. We would compile data and we would make handouts. We made sure that everything we printed for handouts was well-documented, and we put our sources so anybody could look it up. Um, and we always encouraged everybody else, go online, you know, type in Colash, see what there is to say, learn, teach yourself. Um, we are teaching you everything we can, but you need to go research for yourself so you know yourself how bad this is. But we had those handouts at every meeting, a good number of handouts. We also took um, the signature pages and we entered those into a computer file, all of those names and addresses and phone numbers. And we divided that into call lists for us. So when anything big would come up, we could each pull our list and start calling and make calls to people individually. And um, that was very effective, I think. When it came time for the um, the big meetings in Jackson at the Wellness Center with the county commissioners or whatever, we would start calling people and let them know about the meeting and ask them please to come. If they had posters, bring those and um, be prepared to speak. They had something they wanted to say. Um, and that was very, very effective. We had like three to 400 people turn up at those meetings. We literally filled the auditorium. I was just thinking about how education of a of a, a an education campaign goes in layers, you know, from buttons and hats and signs where people get an idea, but it's a thought that's just in their mind. Now they have that in their head; they got the visual vi- vision of it. But I found what Wanda found, and that is that even when you have the support of many people, you know you have their support. The most effective way to get them into the meeting is to call them or go to their house, is to talk to them personally because people, to become an activist, to move somebody from being passive and saying, I support you, to active, that's the whole key to all grassroots campaigns. Around here, I don't know about any other part of the country, but in churches, a lot of times there are funeral home fans. They're just little 
fans with a little wooden stick um, at one of our meetings, somebody showed up with this ingenious idea. They had these funeral home fans, and it had the no collage symbol on it. And I, it, I thought that's the perfect little medium for expressing yourself at a meeting. So Debbie, um, she researched and she found a place that would make us a bunch of these fans. And when we had our county commissioner meetings at the wellness center, uh, we had fans there and we gave them to whoever wanted one. And it was just an ingenious way to give the people who were sitting in the audience who they had asked that they be mindful and be quiet and let everybody speak, um, which is so hard to do when you feel so strongly about an issue and things are being said that you don't agree with. You want to say something. Um, but when they started saying things that people didn't agree with, the fans would go up. And the county commissioners were seeing all these white fans. So everybody, everybody that had a fan had a voice at that meeting, whether they stood up to speak for their three minutes or whether they sat in their seat and just waved their fans. Having grown up in North Carolina, I've seen a lot of these funeral fans, and I think it is such a innovative and genius strategy for a way to make your opinion known in a meeting where you can't speak. I include all of these organizing strategies that the No Coal Ash executive team used to show the multifaceted ways that they took on this campaign, but also to emphasize how long it took for this process to move forward. Joyce got that letter in the mail from her mother in January of 2017. In December of 2017, the No Coal Ash Executive Committee is putting floats in Christmas parades trying to still raise awareness and education around coal ash and the Vista Green plan to bring a coal ash plant to Northampton County. So in between there, they're doing all of these things. They're having meetings, they're making flyers, they're doing handouts, they've got lawn signs, they've got fans, they've got the 2000 postcards going out to the county commissioners. There's so much happening over the course of this year. It's not until August of 2018 that the hearings that will actually decide the fate of Vista Green's plan in Northampton County actually begin to occur. Hear Joyce explain a little bit more about that process now. When the letters came out and we learned about uh, they were trying to bring coal ash to Northampton County, they had to plan some public hearings. And at those public hearings, um, again, the citizens getting together. And after they saw that they were not going to win the fight, at that point, Vista Green pulled their application, special use permit application from the planning board at that time and said that they had to re-educate the citizens. So they were going to pull their special use permit application and they would come back at another time with that. Well, they found out that they could not resubmit the special use permit application. They had to go before the zoning board, the planning and zoning board, and ask for the zoning to be changed from agriculture residential to heavy industrial. So that was in August at their planning board where they had to set it up as a special meeting. And we hosted it, well, the county set it up at our request at a larger venue uh, other than the commissioner's chambers because we were expecting a lot of citizens to attend. So they changed the venue to our Northampton County Cultural and Wellness Center and the auditorium there. And sure enough, we had a great turnout 
of uh, support at that meeting. So it was at the September 18th meeting where the commissioners heard the application again, uh, and they did the final vote on whether or not to change the zoning from from uh, agriculture residential to heavy industrial, and they all voted against it. So, of course, we were excited, thankful, very happy for that uh, for that vote for that vote of confidence that they didn't want the coal ash in Northampton County as well. So they've gone away for a little while, but in 12 months they can come back and reapply. So the fight will begin again, more than likely. I have to admit that after listening to this whole story about how a group of concerned citizens came together, spent over a year and a half fighting against this coal ash plant coming to their community and then won, it was a little disheartening to hear that a year later, the company could just reapply for the same permit and they might have to go through this entire process again. But the fight against coal ash in Northampton County had wider reaching effects than just voting down the change in zoning. In the fall 2018 elections, three of the five county commissioners in Northampton County lost their seats and new commissioners were voted in. Joyce Buffalo was one of those commissioners. Hear her talk a little bit now about the role that she intends to play on the county commission in the future. I honestly had never thought about running for any political office because I've always been a worker, a doer, to try to help. And I was approached by someone who felt that because of the work I had done when I moved back to North Carolina and I worked for a nonprofit, Chinook Area Development Association. And back then, it, in 94, Governor Hunt had a program where they were starting resource centers, and I was one of the resource center coordinators. It was like a one-stop shopping where families would have a place to come together to um, tell you what they needed, and you would try to find the resources to help them. So that busy me that... Uh, they didn't consider me as a Southerner. They still considered me as a Northerner. Coming back here, trying to put changes on to people, but no, trying to help them better their life. So um, through CADA, I was able to help with housing, with um, education, with everything that a family needed or an individual needed to help them have a better life. And by working out there in the community, not just in Garrysburg where my office was located, but I worked countywide for any and all the families that had a need. That individual that approached me at the time in 2017 said, because of your work that you've already laid the foundation, the people know you, they know that you care about people, they know if there is a problem, if there's a need that you're going to do your very best to help them find the answer to whatever that need is. And that's what I did. But again, I had never thought about running for office. Never thought about it. So I I feel a little differently here that sometimes maybe I'm not going to be the right fit or maybe I'm going to be the perfect fit for what the citizens need to make sure that every citizen has a right and they have a voice, someone looking out for them, regardless of what their status is in Northampton County. Because I'm not from a rich family. My family was a working family. We worked the farms. But 
we love people, we respect individuals, we respect the law, and we know that you have to work together in order to accomplish anything. So I'm looking forward as a county commissioner to help move Northampton County forward to work towards that change that we're hoping for in our county. And I know we've already started that change and that is because of Colash. It was it was just awesome to see the community come together when we had I don't think in my lifetime of living here had ever seen our community come together the way they have with this cold ash initiative, uh, not to have it in our county. And we've remained that that way to continue the fight on whatever other issues may come before us that we will continue to stay together and uh, fight for those causes if it did not uh, benefit the citizens of Northampton County. And I know that we all don't go to Sunday school together, or we don't live in the same community, but again, we have that love. We've learned to love and respect, I believe, each other uh, even more, and knowing that you're not the only one, and it's not necessarily about you. It's about the good of all the people and what we need. And we want to make sure that Northampton County is one of the best counties that anyone would ever want to come and live in or visit. So hopefully I will have a role in that and making that happen. Wanda is also hopeful about the future of Northampton County and the engaged organizing role that she intends to play continuing forward in county politics. So even though Vista Green could come back a year from September and reapply for the same change in zoning and they may have to fight this fight again, Joyce, Wanda and Deborah feel like the community is organized and stands together against a coal ash plant. I also wanted to highlight something that came out in what both Joyce and Wanda said about how this was the first time in their memory that they could remember black and white communities in Northampton County coming together for a common cause. In the first episode of this series, we heard Caroline talk about how segregated parts of these areas in the northeastern part of North Carolina can be, particularly she was speaking around the school system. We also heard it a bit in this episode around the roles of black and white churches and how the executive team had to make sure to go to both black and white churches to meet all of the members of the community and educate them about coal ash. But one of the true triumphs of this organizing campaign is the way that it brought those communities together. And I think it's so exciting to hear Wanda and Joyce talk about the hope they have for the future of their county based on that new mutual support, recognition, and love. One thing that happened is um, I know we and other uh, we had not been part of the county government. We had not been following the county commissioners. You know, things were happening. They were happening. You know, you just deal with them. But after the coal ash fight started, we started attending coal, uh, county commissioner meetings, and we started learning about our county government, and we started learning about more things that were happening in our county and not happening in our county and how things were being run. And um, we learned an awful lot just by attending county commissioner meetings and getting to know them and getting to know people and beginning to see how they work together. 
And we are now engaged in a way that we've never been engaged before, the coal ash fight. Um, we will continue to attend the county commissioners' meetings, and we will continue to hold our county commissioners accountable. We will continue to expect them to be open with us and transparent in what they do and what they decide. Um, I think there's a whole different level of accountability that's going to be happening in Northampton County now. Um, and the county commissioners, this new group, what they're, they're going to start um, doing a live uh, feed of the county commissioner meetings that will go out on Facebook. So anybody who cannot attend the meetings will be able to listen and they'll know what the county commissioners are saying and doing. They also are going to change their meetings to all afternoon meetings. They were having one meeting in the morning, 10 a.m. on one, the first Monday, and then they'd have it at 6 p.m. on the, the third Monday of the month. They're going to have them all at 6 o'clock at night now. So all the citizens will have opportunity to come to the meetings, either the first one or the third one. And the um, county commissioners have also, they announced at this last county commissioner meeting, they're going to start going around to the communities um, the first county commissioner meeting of the month will be held in Jackson at, at the county commissioner's building. The second county commissioner meeting of the month will take place in different communities. I think they're sort of following our Colash lead in that if the citizens will not come to them, they're going to go to the citizens. And I just think that's, that's a more of a, that's, the beginning of, I think, a new connection between the people in the county and the commissioners of our county. And, and I see it as the county commissioners reaching out to us and say, we want to hear what you need in your community. We want to hear your voice. We want to see you at our meetings. Um, I'm just, I'm just really hopeful. And I just have very positive feelings about this new set of county commissioners. I was blown away by this story and by the way that ordinary people came together and did something extraordinary. I think Deborah puts it particularly well. So hear her laud the praise on her co-organizers. You know, what you guys have done is phenomenal. I don't think you know it because you've been in the midst of it. And when you're in the midst of something, you don't know until later. Hindsight will let you know you have done something phenomenal. I couldn't have said it better myself. Thanks so much to Deborah, Wanda, and Joyce for being on the 50 Feminist States podcast. I'm so appreciative of the three hours that we spent together at that Ruby Tuesdays, and they shared their story of the success of this grassroots organizing campaign in the Northeastern North Carolina, particularly Northampton County. Since I've spoken to Joyce, Wanda, and Deborah, a bill has been introduced in the North Carolina legislature to prohibit Duke Energy from recovering the costs of coal ash cleanup from ratepayers. The bill follows a ruling that Duke Energy had to completely excavate all of its coal ash ponds. And this new bill wants to make sure that Duke Energy doesn't pass the cost of that along to ratepayers. It's trying to make Duke Energy accountable for its own pollution and not put that back on the citizens who never asked for these coal ash plants to be in their counties in the first place. By most reports, the bill likely won't pass in North Carolina's currently Republican legislature. But fights like this one in Northampton County make me hopeful that the people of North Carolina, particularly in these rural areas like northeastern North Carolina, will be better protected from environmental damages in the future. 
If you want to learn more about coal ash, I've put a link to a map of coal ash units in the United States in the show notes. You can learn more about where coal ash is being stored and the impact that it has on drinking water. I've also put a link to another grassroots campaign happening in Wayne County, Georgia, that's also fighting coal ash. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this from 50 Feminist States, please support future seasons of the podcast by heading to 50feministates.com slash support and donating to our Kickstarter campaign. We're seeking to raise $7,000 by June 6th so that we can continue traveling and speaking to more activists in the local communities where they work and live this summer and into the future. Again, that's 50feministstates.com slash support. That's F-I-F-T-Y feministstates.com slash support. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed these three episodes from Northeastern North Carolina. They've been a real joy and honor to report, and I'm so happy to share these stories with you. Hopefully our Kickstarter campaign gets funded and I'll be back with new episodes in the fall. Until then, I'll see y'all on the road. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of 50 Feminist States. You can find show notes at 50feministstates.com slash podcast and follow us on Instagram at 50feministstates. Special thanks to Danielle Sines and Jessica Naria for our theme song. Until next time, wild ones, we'll see you on the road.